The Evolving Leader is a series that shares insights into the never-ending journey of leadership and entrepreneurship. Join us as Three Pillars CEO David DeWolf talks with peers who have been instrumental in his own leadership journey. Welcome back and thanks for joining us for episode eight of The Evolving Leader. We're excited to welcome Dan Henderson to the podcast to discuss making acquisitions and the many implications the M&A process has for evolving leaders. Dan is Three Pillars Vice President of Corporate Development and Head of M&A, which means he's been a busy man since he joined the company a little more than a year ago. Three Pillar made two acquisitions shortly before he joined and one just after. Prior companies where Dan has held roles include CIT Gap Funds, Margin Edge, and FastSoft, which itself was acquired by Akamai. Dan, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Absolutely. It, yeah. So, so let me start off. You knew Three Pillar and and watched the company grow from afar for ten years before you officially joined the team. You know, we've talked a lot with David about what the journey has been like inside the company. Uh, yeah, since its founding, what what did you observe? You know, from the outside looking in. I think what I observed, which was really fascinating, was the sharpening of the vision. Um, mm. I think when we met, it was you know, hey, I've got this consultancy and, you know, we do software development. And then so, and then maybe the next time it was, you know, we're doing software development, but we're really honing in on, you know, this thing that is very strategic for our customers. You know, maybe it's monetizing, monetizing data or something like this. And then, and so as the years went by, the conversations got sharper and sharper on, um, on the strategy and the vision and, um, and what I observed in these conversations was David was thinking about the three-year strategy at any given time. Mm. Um, and I think even at one point, uh, speaking about M&A, uh, several years ago we had lunch and, and I think, you know, you had said, I'm really thinking it might make sense to get a financial sponsor and, you know, start acquiring some companies. Um, so, so that's mainly what I've seen is just a real evolution of the vision and the strategy of how to, how to grow this organization in a in a way that gives it more sustainable competitive advantages than some other more commoditized companies do the same thing. Yeah, that, that continual evolution of vision and strategy, right? I, I like to talk a lot about humble confidence. As an entrepreneur, you have to have the confidence in your vision, but the humility to realize that it's not perfect at the beginning. And so evolving that strategy and navigating a market to me is just this really fun, complex thing of listening, taking everything in, but also not listening to the naysayers and not just throwing away what you believe in. It's this intersection of the outside ideas with the passion that's innate and finding the way. And I, I think those were some of the conversations you and I had, right? You're, you're an incredibly empathetic listener. You're great at asking questions and engaging and challenging. And I think you were part of that journey of really discovering, testing out concepts. How did that resonate? Oh, that resonated with Dan. Maybe that makes sense. Maybe we should do that, you know? Um, and so it was an interesting journey and, and really thrilled that now you're part of it on the inside, um, having seen that, that evolution. Thank you. So there, if you're in a position to make an acquisition, obviously a lot of things are going right and it's a good thing and, and on many levels. You, you, know, you have a solid customer base, you're growing, you're not contracting. And so people generally look at it as a good thing. Are there any possible downsides or what are the possible downsides you know, of being the company that's making an acquisition? Um, I, you know, I can't think of many. I mean, it, it is a very different um, uh, place to be in as a, 
as a certainly as a CEO, as a as a uh, co-founder, as a board member, in that when you're making acquisitions, typically you have a financial sponsor, mm -hmm. right? And then your financial sponsor has their own. Um, you know, um, goals that they need to hit and you are part now of their portfolio or their strategy. Um, so contrast that with a company that, you know, is independently owned and, you know, and, and, and run by one or two people. There's there, you know, you have a lot, you're sort of king of your own castle. And, um, certainly I think I can say that history of business and probably most other human endeavors shows that it's, um, teamwork, right? It's people coming together and doing something that creates the greatest things that we've ever had. So while I don't think there are any downsides to being in a position that um, where we can do acquisitions or a company can, it, it's a different ball game, right? Because it's a bigger pool of people. Uh, the the difference between being in a position to do M and A and doing M and A <laughs> are two wildly different things, right? Because I agree with you. There's a maturity. There's there's a place you need to be at to be able to successfully do M and A. And part of that is the access to the capital, a broader team, right? It's really hard to do M and A just by yourself. It takes a village to accomplish it and do it really well. It's one of the things you're great at in your role is the coordination of a facilitation of the communication of the change management of bringing the entire force of the organization um, to bear. At the same time, there's a lot of downsides for doing M&A wrong, mm. right? Oh, absolutely. And it's easy to get it wrong. It's probably one of the riskiest things in business, right? And the, the, It's interesting because this topic itself is a little bit different from our previous episodes. And we put it at the end on purpose because you get to this point of maturity, start to think about it. And one of the most frequent questions I get is from entrepreneurs, leaders, CEOs who call me and say, hey, I've never done any M&A before. I've gotten to that place where now I can. Tell me about it. What does it mean? And that's a great thing, but actually doing it and doing it wrong can be devastating. And I think you've seen that in a lot of different ways and you have a great sense for what is right, what isn't, and how things fit together. It's, you know, it's sexy when you think about it, right? I think that the outside perception is, Either um, if uh, if you're investing in a company or you're buying companies, oh, this is a very cool, sexy endeavor, and um, and I think there is always that risk that the people involved kind of get caught up in hmm. what you know they might fall in love with a deal, which is a no no, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and and in any case, um, the about the worst thing that can be done in that situation is acquire a company pay more for it than it is really truly worth and that's a mistake a lot of people make and then not meld it and integrate into your own company correctly and, mm -hmm. and that i think is where um, the large majority of this type of activity fails is um the thinking of this is going to be great it's going to add so much value and then and then it's not integrated properly and it provides very little value I couldn't agree more. It's so many people focus on the transaction. Mm. I like to think of M&A um, kind of like a marriage. It's not about the wedding. We can spend all the time planning the wedding we want, but the reality is that only lasts a day, right? The transaction, the acquisition itself is a point in time. And you can celebrate and you can clap high fives, right? But the reality is the hard work starts and goes until those businesses are integrated. And I remember when we were talking about you potentially taking this role. It's one of the questions you asked me was you wanted to know about the integration function. And we actually had built that even before we hired you to run corporate development. 
Yeah, that get, that made me very happy when I <laughs> <laughs> I said these guys they 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 got their heads screwed on right. You know, that's, uh, that's the most important thing. So that that was one thing that gave you a sign that yeah we were ready to do this. But going back to the idea of being ready, mm. what else was it? You had seen the vision and the strategy evolve and become more poignant. Yeah. You had seen that we understood the value of integration and the criticality of integrating and getting the value from the business that you're acquiring. Mm -hmm. What else? did you see that made you say, ah, this is the time, I, I like this opportunity? Yeah, that, um, there's a lot of sides to answering that question. I'll just sort of maybe touch on a few. Um, one is just getting back to what we talked about vision, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's one thing to be in a position to be able to do a roll up or acquire companies. And so you can do it, but should you do it? <laughs> you know, why are you doing this? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, reflecting upon our many conversations and, and certainly the work we've been doing is, you know, the why was there. Hmm. The, um, the, there was a clear, not only um, mission orientation, you know, this is uh, a way to bring what this company, for example, represents and grow it and, um, and improve lives, right? In a, in a, from a dump, bunch of different vectors. And then the other, um, the other side of it is sort of the strategic side, mm -hmm. right? Certainly the, the, the business side. Does it make sense from a business point of view? Um, is there, are there sustainable, do we have sustainable enough competitive advantages? Are we in the right space? Are mm -hmm. we the most profitable in an area? Can we win a space on and on and on, right? There's yeah. just so many vectors there. Um, and then I think the, the other piece is, do we have the capability to form the right team to do this, mm -hmm. right? Because it's a very different crew. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I spent uh, many um, years of my career in very early stage startups, either founding them or as an early stage, uh, early team member. And that is a very different environment than a company that's doing five or $10 million a year. And it's a very different company that is doing a services business versus a, say, a software product business. So all these different stages require different types of people. Right. And I think about leadership. And I think about the ability of leaders to create loyal followings, which, you know, which comes from people genuinely believing this is the right place for me and feeling it. Mm. And so that's, I think that's a very important piece of it. How much of that is applicable when you're going out and you're looking for a business to acquire and integrate in? How much of what you're doing is not just discerning the fit from a strategic perspective, but that buy-in, that believe-in? Do they believe in what we're about to do? Oh, so much. Yeah. Yeah, so much. I mean, just, just you know, referencing back to how a bad integration, which happens the majority of the time in the world, ruins the value or the potential value that a, that a combining two companies can create. Um, that is the culture match and the, um, the reason that a founder or CEO wants to, uh, you know, possibly combine his or her company into some other company. All these reasons, the, the why behind it is so, so important. Mm -hmm. um, one type of leader or CEO kind of enjoys being um, the, the king or the queen, right? You know, and, and doesn't necessarily... Um, isn't compelled to have a number of other stakeholders that are um, that are involved mm -hmm. uh, at that at um, his or her level, um, and that's fine. But that's a very different mentality than a sort of a team player, 
mm-hmm. realizes you know that it, and so so yes we look for that um and we and we you know i look for uh people who can who can who clearly have created a a following and mm-hmm. a culture that resonates mm-hmm. with the, that resonates with us but that also you know has their people sticking around for a long time fascinating david let me ask you a question we we talked on a previous episode you know, about how you made a, a slew of acquisitions from, say, 2009 to 2011, yep. and then you kind of turned off the acquisition engine for nine years and then made three more in a span of a year and yep. three months, I believe. Um, why did you decide to turn it back on? Was there yep. something, was there an event that happened where you yep. said, okay, because I remember even back you know, when I was at Three Pillar and I left in May 2019, you've been talking about finding companies to acquire for a while. Yep. Um, Anyway, what, what, what was, why did you turn it back on? Yeah, there's a readiness that matters that we talked about. And in the early days of Three Pillar, we did a handful of acquisitions to put the platform together. Mm-hmm. But we really felt it was important to bake that platform, to make a machine, to build the platform so it was capable of acquiring and integrating other businesses. And I think in 2019, 2020, we really felt like we had put that platform together and we had gotten the model right. We had the basics right. We talked with Alan in a previous episode about the basics and the fundamentals. That applies to leaders, it also applies to businesses. There's certain hygiene that you have to have in order to be able to successfully do more advanced things. And practicing that hygiene and getting it right really, really, really matters. And so for us, that was the time it took to build that platform and grow and show that we had something that was capable of being the platform and integrating other things in. And then to assemble that team and to get the team ready, um, to raise the capital, to do all of the things that we needed to do in order to be prepared to do it successfully and not just throw money away. Mm -hmm. And then let's be candid, it's hard to find great companies to acquire, right? (laughs) There's a reason Dan has a job. Um, (laughs) It's really hard work to find them and to be the right culture fit. And size and scale matters for all of those things. And so I think it's a complex puzzle that you have to put together, but we've been very intentional about building the machine to be able to do it. And now I think we're at the size and scale where we we can't just do it haphazardly. We will do it very intentionally um, and intend to continue to be quite uh, acquisitive over time. Yeah, and let, let me ask just about kind of like the global nature of the acquisitions too, because in, mm-hmm. a number of the of the acquisitions you've made recently have been international in nature. Mm-hmm. How does that or does that change the equation from, I guess, both an acquisition standpoint and an integration standpoint? Mm. Quite a bit, oh. right? <laughs> it makes oh. your job even more complex. Oh, I mean, the list just goes on and on, um, it, almost to the point where we're, if we're looking at a company that is... Uh, you know, just based in the U.S. and has one office. It just it just it seems like easy. You know? <laughs> um, no, but but no, but seriously, there there's just so many considerations that go into um, thinking about a company that's based um, around the world. I mean, everything from um, the the um, the law in that country, the hiring practices in that country, um, the cultures and norms around the office space and. Um, holidays and so all the all that sort of stuff as well as of course other you know uh, sort of more cut and dried things you think about the you know um, you know the the exchange rate or whatever it might be depending on how you're doing the business in another country so it's incredibly complicated I will say um, and uh, that it's also very exciting Mm -hmm. um, because uh, you know we 
you know, as a more and more in a world that's just, you know, increasingly global. And of right. course, Tom Freeman called it flat many years ago. <laughs> um, and, and, and so, um, one of the most fascinating parts I think about this job is building this company with people from all around the world. Yeah. It's so rich, you know. Um, and and just a, a quick basic example is, you know, we use a, a you know a chat like 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 a Slack sort of thing, so we can message with all of our colleagues. And there's um, and there's one that includes everyone, and and you know, it doesn't matter what holiday. It is, but there's a there's some holiday in many countries that you know that we're celebrating, and half of them I hadn't heard of before, and it's just really neat to happy holly, by the way. Yeah, right. That's right. Happy holly, all of our colleagues. Um, it, it's just it's just really enriching. Yeah, I want to double down on that culture part you talked about, right? Because I I think it gets lost in all of the complexities of global. But at Three Pillar, the one veto that exists within M and A is the culture veto. Right? And I think it's one of the biggest mistakes that people make about M&A is they often look at the balance sheet first. They go from the balance sheet to the income statement. They go from the income statement to the legal constructs to the business strategy. And there's not nearly enough time and focus spent on the culture. And will these cultures really, really mesh? And I think the global nature makes that even more complex because you don't just have company culture, you have global culture, you have country culture, you have different ethnic backgrounds, you have all sorts of richness, exciting stuff uh, to, to think about and uh, to really learn about, but it also makes it more complex to really get your hands around that culture and will this culture mesh with our culture and will this actually play out? So what you've mentioned culture fit a few times in, in this and in previous episodes, what are the things that you're looking for to kind of evaluate mm. if a target you know has a culture that will mesh well with three pillars? Yeah. Yeah. So I never look for identical cultures because I don't think identical cultures actually exist, right? For, for any business. That's not just that we're so unique. That's just, it's hard to have an identical culture. Mm -hmm. What I look for is complementary cultures, right? So when I think about our culture, at the core, at the heart is team a passion for team. Um, that is the idea that we're all working together to accomplish something more than any one of us could do on our own. And oh, by the way, that that elevates every human being within that team. If there is an incredibly individualistic hero culture, it's not gonna mesh with ours, right? But everybody doesn't have to have a core purpose of team, right? And you can flesh those types of things out. And so I look for that. I look for alignment of values, right? The number of emails that I've gotten from Dan over the years of, hey, look at the values on their website. These three of their seven match our four almost identically. You know, those are the types of things we're looking for. And then most importantly, we want to make sure it's not just a poster on the wall. We go in and we're very deliberate about trying to figure out where does it play out. How does it show up? And really understanding, do they really live it? Not just believe it, and especially not just say it. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And it's, um, you know, my experience is that most organizations' um, personality, if you can think of an organization having a culture or personality, um, generally come from the people who are running it. And um, there's a lot to be learned about an organization by simply talking to um, the leaders. And and what you said, what you had said earlier about um, sort of a successful entrepreneur needs to be confident enough, but also willing to know that he or she doesn't know everything. 
that's a that's probably um, a, a great place to start when I'm thinking about the personalities mm -hmm. of these um, CEOs and other co-founders. <clears throat> Because chances are, if they have a sort of a humble confidence about them, um, that, 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 that that will pervade throughout the organization and its culture. And conversely, if they're, um, you know, if they're a jerk <laughs> and, and arrogant, then probably that organization would mirror that as well. That's a fair point, for sure. So Dan, let me ask, in your first three months at Three Pillar, one acquisition closed, two had been recently made. I know back when I was there, our former head of sales, Tony Orlando, used to always joke with newcomers that they were drinking from the fire hose just based on all the information they were trying to soak up as part of our on onboarding process. When you were getting onboarded, what were you drinking from, if you can share it with us? <laughs> you know, so when I joined, it was uh, January of 21, and we were in the middle of, or the beginning, I guess, of the pandemic um, prior to vaccinations. And so I, I, I'll just tell you a funny story. You know, I had never started working at a company where all my colleagues were two-dimensional. I don't mean character-wise. Um, and, uh, and it was very strange because... I was learning who my colleagues were, what their roles were while I was in these meetings. So I always had LinkedIn up next to me. So because there was the subject of the meeting and then there was who are these people and what are their roles so I can figure out, you know, what's this conversation. Um, and so that was that was an interesting, interesting challenge. Um, and then the other thing is I just didn't know how tall anyone was. <laughs> I'm like, you don't think that's, you know that important and maybe it's not but then when you meet someone you know face to face and you press flash it's just you know it feels it feels like coming home in a way um so that was that was very strange um i will say um the there was the organized and then the the uh, the the uh, serendipitous and the organized of course was this uh, orientation program and the serendipitous was uh you know sometimes having conversations with colleagues who you don't know how tall they are uh, <laughs> but you know they're nice people you know afterwards and, and having a phone call here and there so it was it was uh, very intense and really really fun all right you mentioned linkedin and that answer i was checking out your linkedin profile as, as part of the the due diligence for uh for for this podcast episode and your description reads Corporate development slash M&A executive, founder, investor, and bluegrass fiddler. I mean this in the nicest possible way. One of these is way more interesting than the rest. <laughs> so can you tell us about it? Yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. So I, I grew up in a family of musicians. Um, my brother, uh, in fact, is a professional cellist in New York. Uh, oh, wow. My sister has a doctorate in musicology. And I grew up playing classical violin. And so that was really kind of what our home life outside of school and family uh, revolved around um, <clears throat> to the point where when I went to uh, college, it was, uh, you know, I, I sort of had to make a decision. Is this a life for me as a professional or not? Um, and there were so many other things I was interested in. Clearly, it was not going to be my uh, my profession. But um, when I uh, became a young adult, I went to a backyard party in um, Jamaica Plain, Boston. I'm from the Boston area originally. And I saw a bluegrass band. And I had known about bluegrass, but it just struck me, that's what I need to be doing. And so it took me a few years. Uh, it's, a, it's a very um, rewarding but difficult uh, um, type of music to play. Um, but, but since then, I've learned to convert. Uh, and now I'm a recovering classical violinist, and, uh, <laughs> bluegrass fiddler, and I play in, uh, in a couple of bands. And, uh, and it's fantastic. We have a lot of fun. Very nice. David, do you play anything? 
Um, not that I'm proud of to, to stay. Um, I, I, back when I was in elementary school, I guess a little bit in high school, I played the saxophone. Um, was not very good. My, my father was an incredible musician. Uh, was uh, you know the, the the leader of, of the band, uh, sort of speak in college. Um, but I never had that that talent uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I tried to pick up the guitar, but I never really did. So um, I envy people like Dan who actually have that talent. Yeah, well, somewhere out there, there's video footage of you and Jeff Nielsen and me singing Christmas tunes in India for uh, the annual party for for Three Pillar. I hope that nobody can dig that up because I that hope nobody can find. Sounds that. like cats, you know, wailing. <laughs> um, we'd be much better off with with you playing too. We band now at Three Pillar. Yeah. We've scaled to the point where there's enough talent around. <laughs> Love it. Well, Dan, thank you very much for being with us today to to share your experience and your expertise. Uh, great talking with you about the, the evolution of leaders and of companies and how M&A fits in. Thanks so much. Thanks, Dan. It was a lot of fun. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of The Evolving Leader. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star rating, a glowing review, and a share on whichever social media networks you call home. For more on the podcast and to view video of each episode, please visit daviddewolf.com slash podcast.